Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Bees Analytical Podcast. I'm delighted again to be joined by Alfie and James as we discuss this week in football and some bits and bobs over the international break. So first of all, gents, how are we doing? Very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. It's been quite a slow week this week, hasn't it, in terms of things going on in the EFL? It's just that international break again. It just comes, it's just dull. It's not as a football fan. I'd rather have the championship back. But we do have an interesting game this evening with England, Ireland in a friendly. Let's see what Southgate does. I wonder if Jack more than 10 minutes. Well, he's meant to, he's in predicted lineup. He's meant to be starting, which would be interesting to watch. Have you got the predicted lineup to hand there, Alf? Because let's have a, let's have a look. I oh, saw it on Sky Sports News earlier. It was. Um... Sancho and Grealish, definitely. Nick Pope is in goal. Pope, Michael Keane, Tyron Mings and Maguire. Mount and Winks in midfield. Saka and I can't remember who the fullback was. I think it was Reese James. No Calvert-Lewin? Oh, I can't remember the striker, mate. I would say that'd be a brave move to drop someone that played so well. I would well. imagine Calvert-Lewin is probably starting. Because it would be him between him and Ings, wouldn't it? But obviously now Ings is injured. You'd yeah. hope it would be Calvert-Lewin. Proper centre forward. Yeah, got a great leap on him. I love to watch him. He started the season. He slowed down a little bit now. Obviously, I think Everton went off like a house on fire, but they've slowed down now. But let's have a look at the predicted lineup. You see, I love the fact that he's hopefully moving away from that midfield tour of Rice and Phillips because, God, he just suffered us in midfield. It was just so dull trying to build through. But it's nice to see a bit of variety in that, like, two. Instead of having two holders and playmakers, I like to just push on one. Someone that I really think would suit sitting in that one is Grealish. I know he plays on the left wing at, out on the left at Villa. But when he rolls in, he is honestly so brilliant. But I'd love to see him come into, like, a midfield two. And then he does the floating role and just let Rice and Phillips mop up. We've got a he should be five. full of confidence. Yeah, we should. Start with Villa. Yeah, they, they've been brilliant so far. So the predicted lineup we have for England has been reported by the press. You've got Pope, Maguire, Cody, Mings, James, James and Saka as fullbacks, Winks, Rice in midfield, Grealish, Foden and Calvert-Lewin. That's a strong team, to be fair. That's an interesting one. That's a completely different team to what I saw on Sky News. So I guess we'll never really know till it gets announced. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a decent team to be fair. Then you think to come into that, right? Rashford, Kane, Sterling. It's not bad, is it? Hendo. Trent is also another one to come into that team. It's not a bad team, is it? We spoke about it last international break, didn't we, boys? just what we think England should do moving forward and I just yeah Southgate for me it's just I think we're trying to protect our fragilities in at the centre-back position I think we don't have much depth there compared to the other positions so we think playing more at the back covers us if that makes sense and dropping in and dropping into a back five makes us more solid but I'd love to get some of these creative young players up on the pitch Imagine Grealish and Foden in behind a strike force of Kane, Calvert-Lewin, Sterling, Rashford on the other side. I know it'd be ridiculous, but it'd just be fun to watch. Mark Wilburn football just outscoring everything. <laughs> I mean, with the attackers we have, we should, I would hope, you know, he'd just let them loose. But it's what these games are for, these friendlies. Let's just let them loose. Let's just see what they can go out and do. Yeah. It doesn't really make a massive great deal of difference, to be fair. No, no, I totally agree. Yeah, where would you rank? So someone like Harry Kane for me, right? It's top three striker in the world in world football right now. Probably Lewandowski is another one that's probably just ahead of him, like as an out and out striker. We are just so blessed with Harry Kane of how incredibly good he is. I know he had a bit of an off season with the injuries, but this season he's come back and he's hit the ground running and then some. I just going into a World Cup and. And go or going into a Euro, sorry. I just hope he can keep going with this form because 
it's just been incredible to watch this season. I think Mourinho seems to have got something out of him that wasn't really there last year, especially with the injuries. And at the age of 27, 28 now, I think he's definitely hitting his peak. I just can't believe he's only made 49 appearances for England. I just can't remember. He seems to have been around forever, yet, to, yet the next game will be his 50th cap. Is it that? I just he would, yeah, I just imagined he'd have been on sort of 60, 70 already. But... When did he make his first England start? Was that... When did, what was his breakout year? You've got to remember, we had Rooney in that role for a very long time. Mm. So I think his breakout... But you've got to remember, he wasn't exactly an early breakout star. He no, yeah, that he was is true. years old, didn't he? Yeah, he had a fair few loans, didn't he, in, in the Football League before yeah. he got his break. So it would have been probably 2015 sort of time. He made, yeah. his int- he made his international debut in a qualifier against... Uh, in a qualifying match of the 2016 Euros. So yeah, 2015. Yeah, about the same, same sort of time as they brought Eric Dyer. Oh, uh, yes. It was against Lithuania. Oh, it was the header, wasn't it? Against Lithuania. He scored on his debut, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, no, okay. That was 2015. Jeez. That was five, six years ago, Rob. And uh, only 50 caps. A lot of injuries. <sighs> yeah. But, uh, that's that's I mean, he's made, he's made the most of his caps, I mean, hasn't he? You say only 50 caps, but he's he's only 27. Yeah. So he's still got another five years left in him. Oh, yeah, he'll he'll reach. You know, he'll reach sort of probably around triple figures. But it's just, he's just a player that I just seem to remember being around for for ages. I would have thought he'd have quickly made it to 50. But he's yeah. obviously not been around as long as, as I remember him being. No, there's five cap, 50 caps in five years. It's 10 a year. Major tournament every if you're two. Someone that um has a lot of caps at such a young age. You're looking at Raheem Sterling. Mm, He's yeah, got he a has. lot of caps for his age. Yeah, you he think... broke through at 17, though. Yeah, especially in that Liverpool yeah. side. He had but... five years on Kane by the time he probably broke through. Oh, yeah, Kane. And he's improving year on year. That's the thing. They're all improving year on year. So hopefully, when they do peak at the same time, which is probably around sort of 2022 World Cup. Football's it coming should, home. It should really be, should be an exciting time. Mm. Uh, just look at you mentioned Sterling, right? I bring it. He's got fifty-eight caps for England, so only eight more than Kane. But yeah. he, his first appearance came in twenty twelve, when he was seven, and then he didn't make another appearance for England for the next two years. Obviously, he had that he had that breakout season in fourteen fifteen with Liverpool. Yeah, and yeah then, he was at the fourteen World Cup. So then. Oh, see, look at that! Only fifty-eight caps for Sterling. Again, he just eight years he's been in the England setup, really. Or system. Yeah, remember, normally we sort of have five or six, maybe seven games at a major tournament. Twenty fourteen was the key one for most of those players. We only played three because yeah. we all got knocked out of the groups. So it's less games there than you would have expected to play. And they're obviously removing. They bring, mind you, they're bringing in this this um, you know, the tournament Nations League. So that should see an increase in caps. Yeah. People playing more games over the summer if you make it to the to the major tournament. Oh, it's just I did, you bring up the Nations League and just can't see how players are not going to burn out this year. I was watching some of the games and they just look dead and buried already. And we're in November. You've got to look at it and think some of these players now need to play twenty games before before Christmas. It's beyond ridiculous, the schedule right now, and the travelling, the up and down. I don't see... I think we're going to possibly see it at Euros. There's just so many teams that are going to be hampered by injury. Like, we've started seeing it now with England, with Trent having to drop out. Gomez is now injured, and Dyke has done his ACL. You've got Stones, Mendy at City, the big boys. I just can't see how we're going to survive into a tournament, especially some of the players. I saw today in that the championship are trying to bring in so you can make five subs in a game. I think that yeah, rotation is going to take a, a big step forward, especially for this season, probably season after when they still deal with the effects of COVID. But I think we'll find now that the teams have bigger squads and more players. I think they're going to they're going to pull further ahead than they normally would do when you can only make three because you're just going to keep rotating. And if you've got the players... They're good enough to replace the players that you're taking out, and you can still keep up that level of performance. Mm. And they'll quite easily breeze breeze ahead well, compared to the previous years. 
you mentioned that. Did you see on Josh Townsend's interview where he basically said that, that it would be completely stupid to bring the five rule sub in? Yeah, because they're not using them, are they? Half the players aren't using three subs, let alone five. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. Klopp currently, right? Out of the 45 subs he could have made, he's made 43. So he's using them. It's not like... <laughs> that's because he's got the squad to be able to not impact performance levels so much. But when you look at Crystal Palace, squad compared to, you know, Liverpool squad. That's why it will always benefit the big teams. But equally, I think we do have to take into account player welfare over what benefit that will give teams that yeah. are bigger and have bigger squads. I totally agree. What what would be a good solution to find that balance then? Because obviously the idea of it has to be youth players that come on, but then you think the youth players at City compared to a Burnley, compared to a, to a Stoke, to a Brentford, are completely different to each other. Like I see it as a viable option maybe, just to level out the playing field a little bit. But... I would think, like, I agree with you, Alf, that player welfare is should be the priority. It doesn't matter about the competition side. I think we should be able to protect our players more and just open up the idea. And don't forget, at the end of the day, five subs is an option. You don't have to use all five. If Hodgson only wanted to make two, he can only make two. But that's the manager's choice, then. It gives you the option. Yeah, but I think what Townsend is saying is you can't, eat, you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't ask to be able to make five and then not choose not to make the most of it. You can't then go and complain about squad tiredness and the amount of games if you're not doing all you can to help yourself. But of most of managers will. But for a team like Palace that voted against the five subs and don't want it because they know it will impact it'll have a better impact on bigger teams with bigger budgets and bigger squads. They don't have to. Yeah, but... that's what I don't want is player hoarding. You don't, you don't want the big teams just literally filling their squad at the expense of their minutes and their game time just to have the players there when they need them. Just in I the event. That would that'd be dreadful for the players' development and for, you know, for football. If oh, yeah, but this is an exceptional circumstance. This is COVID-19. This is not going to go on forever having five subs. Yeah, COVID, I'd have, to be fair, I think I'd have just scrapped the League Cup for this year, if, if, if they're that concerned about the number of games. I mean, this year is a one-off year, hopefully, maybe possibly next year, if they're still dealing with it. But I just think we need to do all we can to, um, to limit the minutes. You mentioned the yeah. breaks, and I think the League Cup is probably the one that could bite the bullet. See, I t totally disagree, because you look at a team like Newport County, that ended up playing Newcastle on the telly, right? That amount of money, right, covers clubs, especially in League Two. Even Brentford as a championship side, to be on the telly to a quarter-final, potentially semi-finals, all, that's nearly, that's like a lot of money, a time, just playing these big boys. And so you've got to look at the balance. If you told Brentford and Newport, right now we're scrapping the League Cup this year, well, they've just gone on incredible runs. Newport nearly made the quarterfinals, for goodness sake, from League Two, beating Swansea, Watford, and literally a stone's throw away from beating Newcastle. I, I don't think, I think the biggest thing, and I obviously player welfare is there, but you've got to balance it out. You can't just scrap stuff and then teams, teams lose out. And that money now potentially could keep Newport afloat for the rest of the year. You I could mean, still give that money, though, to the lower leagues to help them survive. I don't think... Man City or Man United are completely... They're not going to be that bothered about the winning the, the winning money you get from the League Cup. I think it's a pittance compared to, to the other money they get coming in. So why don't they just say, look, we won't play the League Cup this year, but all the proceeds will be split out fairly in between the lower two divisions? Money's money. You're telling me Man United are going to turn down half a million if they're under 23s, win a couple of games in a cup competition? Of course they're not. Well, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, that's that's... A, a penny, it's a, it's a drop in the ocean, 500 grand for them. So I don't think they're going to be massively over-concerned. All they do is field weakened sides in it anyway. It isn't like they're there for the for the good of the cup. They're there because they have to be. So if you're taking it off their hands, I don't think they're going to be that concerned. See, There'll you... be some clubs in the that would, if, you know, the lower league ones that want to win a competition, but the big boys aren't. See, but you know, Jen, so what if the teams, you say they play the kids, but that's a development. You're now allowing younger players that wouldn't tend to play to develop. 
they get an opposition opportunity, sorry, to play at men's football, phys- full physical football, gun ho against the League Two side or a League One side. At the end of the day, they're still developing. Also, it gives squad players a chance, like Bernard at Everton. Played amazing in their League Cup games, has got into the Premier League side now. So, yeah. yeah whatever I, I, option people go for, it's not going to be 100% good on either side. But it's, 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 it is it's is a option for, to, to solve a problem that they're complaining about. Oh, totally, I totally agree, mate. Um, we are just playing devil's advocate, but there is no perfect solution. I, want... I love the League Cup from a Reading perspective, but I can't see the big boys giving two hoots if they scrap competition. They're looking to scrap it anyway. They've been looking to scrap that for years. So they're not mm. going to be too fast. The one competition I'd love them to do is like the British Isles Cup. If have all the teams in Britain play against each other. And it'd be just so, so cool. I know it would obviously be a nightmare with travel and restrictions. And obviously some clubs. Imagine if Plymouth got someone up at the top peak of Scotland. Or like Aberdeen or something, you know. But it'd be great to like compare how the, they are against each other. And just have that British Isles Cup. But yeah, do fair. That's a that'd be awesome concept. But then again, would it be you end up just Man City versus Manchester United or a Man City versus Arsenal or whoever cup final? You know, yeah. And who would qualify for it? Where would you draw the line? Because you can't have well, all ninety-two plus twelve in the Premiership of Scotland plus where was in the Welsh League? As uh, I can't remember, I'm near in Wales. Hundred and fifty odd teams. Oh yeah, scrap the cup, but you can't scrap the FA Cup. Much of that straight knockout, that'd be just great, and just keep whittling it down, and then yeah, all ninety-two nations with um with the British Isles and maybe a couple of others for, for like a yearly national event to replace a few of the friendlies. But the thing is, there's such a gap between England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland, it would probably get quite draining. And then see if you had this cup where they all played each other, you know, you can bring each other up to the same level. Development. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to then bring up the leagues. But then where do you draw the line? Like, do you only include Welsh 1? Or do you only include, you know, the Premier League? Do you only include the Championship? Do you include League 1, League 2? Do you include <laughs> Scottish 2? Where Where's the line drawn? At what, what league does not get into the competition? For well, the Scottish, Scottish League Cup has Northern Irish teams, Irish teams and Welsh teams in. So it that's does. Quite... It's the Iron Brew Cup. Or... Yeah. It's, that's an, it's an interesting concept. I think it would be the top Welsh division, top Northern Irish division, tops, uh, top two in Scotland, and then all 92 English, personally, because all of them leagues are somewhat professional. Or, okay, See, Wales isn't. If you did it as top Irish, top Welsh, top two in Scotland, League One and League Two, and have that as the competition. But then I if someone like Celtic going to want to participate in that when they're playing European football, or Rangers, who are the big boys, are they going to care? They're never playing European football after Christmas anyway, so I don't think they'll be too concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I think you find Rangers are going through, thank you. They're doing very well. No, I like to interpret Celtic and Rangers do well, to fair. makes a change. You, you then have to sell it to them. What is the incentive? Because Celtic probably would dick that competition. They would absolutely smash it. You say that, but then any of the top six will smash the competition. No, but I mean, there's a massive difference between Celtic and the League One and the top end of League One. Celtic would absolutely massive decimate them. Celtic and Man United. <laughs> oh, it would be. It'd just be fun. I, I know it sounds stupid. Gone down a rabbit hole with this conversation. Now. I know, but it's, <laughs> we started off with player player welfare and the British Isles Cup. Into the Iron Brew Cup. Oh, if you've seen that one where Rod Stewart, he did the draw of it and he looked absolutely oh, smashed. Yeah. <laughs> He's just going, <laughs> picking out. Oh, but look, oh, what was it called? It was the like little caramel bar. Oh, I can't remember the name of them. They're like the red and gold wrapping. I think it was the fun. Oh, the car- caramel wafer. Yeah, that's what it, the cup was called originally. And he was just, I don't know what was up with him. I don't know if he was trying to be funny or he'd been drinking beforehand but Christ <laughs> this whole draw is just like a comedy sketch a fair amount of alcohol was consumed I believe before that, before well, yeah. that draw did you, any of you watch the FA Cup draw from the other day Dan Crowley man has he been practicing his bingo calling he'd like <laughs> pick a ball out right and he'd go 
one and three, number thirteen. It's like, what? <laughs> just say, just say what number it is. And it was just every time he'd pick it out, be like two and oh, 20. Well, they've got to try and make what would be quite a tedious afternoon of just calling out balls from a bucket. Something mainstream, prime time TV, half past seven after the one show. Half of them are asleep by that point. I can't imagine anyone over the age, under the age of sixty has watched the one show in about ten years. So, <laughs> but I just don't know what was up with him. It was just strange. He's just calling these numbers out. And I'm thinking, like I'm watching it and hoping that one of the teams I'm with gets drawn out, and then thinking they kept calling it. And I'm thinking, oh, cool, we're now out. And then, just, nah, I don't know, stop number 27. Don't worry, Dad. But considering what he's achieved right in football as well, it was weird listening to him say, like, this was on a bucket list thing. Like, surely as a manager, right, he's achieved a lot with Lincoln especially beating Burnley. That was incredible. And then Huddersfield, I know it didn't go particularly well, but again, probably incredible, him and his brother. What's the FA Cup draw up there? As a yeah, bucket the list FA thing. Is, especially to someone of his era still, the FA Cup is absolutely huge. And it's like the mainstream, main event of football for people of that era. That era, he's only 40. I know, exactly. <laughs> well, it's probably our sort of era that's lost that magic of the cup. That's it. We've, I, been, I... we've been put too much football on for us now. We're spoiled. I would say the magic of the cup, but Bradford have never done anything good him. The furthest we'd ever got was the third round, and that's when we automatically got promoted and put there because yeah, well, the championship. Just, we're just not quite as good as us, really, with uh, our uh, four quarterfinals and two semifinals. Oh, yeah, but who, remind us who you beat in them semifinals to get there. We beat Arsenal in the semifinal. You didn't beat them. Uh, we lost to Arsenal in the semifinal, but we played Arsenal in the semifinal. You beat Bradford and Bradford. West Brom. Yeah, well, this Bradford that had knocked out the likes of Chelsea. It's Bradford. Yeah. <laughs> and it gave us a good game in the first game. Took a replay. John Stead is Barbie Army. I remember that guy. He scored at Chelsea. That was incredible, wasn't it? The whole game was incredible. Mate, yeah, you know, maybe we've been lucky with the FA Cup. Maybe that's just why I've never had a feeling in the cup run. I know this, the Carabao one we've gone on now, potentially one from a semi final. I just feel meh about it. We've never really. I know back in 91, 92, I think it was, Brentford had a big one where we went to Liverpool away. And Dad always mentioned of like that was the pit. It was brilliant. We went on an amazing run. Not that I remember it at all. I wasn't even born there. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that when you've been supporting Brentford, they haven't been that good. I mean, it's only really the last four years that they've really done much. So you, yeah. You're still sort of in the early stages. I was lucky enough, and so was Alfie, to grow up watching Reading when they were actually pretty decent. Mm. So you kind mm. of got that with you. Brentford was just like a bang average league one club. Back average, yeah. League two, now even. Now they're doing, now they're doing bits. But... Mm, we we, we were League two when I first started going. It was Luton. Oh no, we played Wickham in 2008. I think it was something ridiculous, like a four all rule. It was my first game. Or something, I, something off the top. Or it was, it was a draw of some variety. I'm probably chatting rubbish. But then the next game after that we went to was Luton, where we won the League two title. And that was incredible. Yeah. Like, Eight-year-old me was buzzing. <laughs> like I met Charlie McDonald, and that bloke was an absolute hero of mine for a long time. I absolutely loved him, just because he was the striker, and everyone wanted to be a striker. Um, yeah, he was a hero. But you certainly touched on it there. I've seen nothing but good since Brentford. Like we've just grown and grown, and that's why I think perspective is needed for where we are now. And you've got to speak about. All you should have been doing this not really like this is the best I've ever seen Brentford been at in my very short life and it is the best that some people over the age of 40 50 had ever seen in their life yeah we're the same with Reading seeing being alive for Reading's first go into the top flight when Reading had spent like 60 odd years in like the third and fourth division and here are our fans moaning about going down towards the bottom end of the championship perspective is required a lot of the time so you've also got to bear in mind you've been a how, how long now in championship well eight consecutive years but 2003 was about uh, 2002 was the, was the last time 2002 yeah give or take well, we were similar to you in that we were quite a, a well we had a lot of money put in for a league one club 
quite quickly got up to the championship and then pretty quickly went up to the Premier League and now are sort of settling down again. You're 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 quite quickly rising up through the leagues. I won't say just... quickly. It's been five pretty, years, six. Pretty quick. It took us four years to get up to the Premier League, but you just still got to find like the level. And it looks like you're finding your level now. More so in the last few years. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely for the bees right now. It's... At the end of the yeah, finishing third, the highest points in the league. We got thirty odd million for a player, a Brentford player that's now currently tearing it up in Ollie Watkins. It's it's a good time to be a Brentford fan. And Tony, I mean, you, were just, you were just unlucky that you got caught with COVID and that you couldn't see the set the running in the ground. That's the only disappointment. Yeah. And give Griffith Parker proper send off. Yeah, we did we did one of the tours with the club and it just wasn't the same. No, it, it was well, just a bit same. soulless. Yeah, you had the FA Cup game, didn't you, against Leicester? Remember that was a big deal. Again, though, it really wasn't. It was. It's not because it, obviously it wasn't a big boy. Obviously, I know Leicester won the Premier League in in the last five five ten years, and they are now a top six, top top eight club. But no, it just didn't feel really that much with Leicester. It was all right. There's no fun in being pumped four 0 by a big boy. At least Leicester, on paper, <laughs> you think you'd, you'd get a big one. You dirty-minded boys. Sorry. Going up to Old Trafford and losing 4-5-0 isn't fun. No, it's not. Pull yourself together. I'm sorry. You caught me off guard. Uh, well, the topic of the FA, there's one man that's been making headlines this week, and Greg Clark. Oh, my goodness. What an absolute knobhead. I'm just... Obviously, I understand the generational thing in the he said, or oh, I've lived in these areas, and that's why I chose to use certain language. But this isn't the first time. This isn't the first time he's been caught slipping his tongue up with the reference to fluff and stuff when he was talking about racism in football. I think, thank goodness, good riddance to the bloke. He can, he can claim he it was all always stepping down soon, or I might have been moving on recently anyway. But that is coming from one of the figureheads in the FA. Imagine the rest of it. It's just out of touch with the times. It's not acceptable to be using the language that you use to describe people. And then he goes on a tangent about IT and how they've all got different career paths. And it's just just wrong. I won't be repeating. Yeah, I won't be repeating his language. There's no need to. If you want to read it, there's plenty of press about it and what he said. But just out of touch, beyond everything... It's just been one failure after another, as far as he's concerned. I mean, he buried all the Mark Sampson racism case with the Luco. He tried to sell Wembley, failed to sell Wembley. He initiate, helped to initiate the project big picture. It's just, he's just failed at everything he's tried. It's just time for a, I think the FA needs a shake-up. It's just time for a fresh face to look at it from a different pair of eyes, I think. Yeah, just someone that's in touch with the time, like... Obviously, Greg Clark has been in and around football now probably his entire life, pretty much. But yeah, just someone that's up to date with terminology, the way you address people. Like, it's just not difficult. It's not a difficult concept. But And if he's saying these comments to commons, right, on a broadcast to the world where he's speaking, you imagine some of the stuff maybe said behind, behind closed doors or that goes on. Like you mentioned, that whole Samson stuff was ridiculous that got buried and got rid of and tried to get rid of it until Aluko called it all out and it came to light in the end yeah I, the, the, I think we're all in agreement the man he just made stupid comments and I think rightly so is now losing his positions I think a couple of hours ago he stepped down as vice president of the FA, uh, FIFA sorry I think he stepped away from that because I just think he realised it's the shitstorm he's kicked off. Actually, I must kick it out and the other groups that have also just questioned him and be like, what the hell? <laughs> Why do you... The horrible thing is, though, is the FA wouldn't have, you know, if he didn't step down, he probably wouldn't have even been punished for it. That's what's wrong. The, the FA seems to have a problem at its core in calling out these these issues. And that it took him to step back for anything to be done about all this. Do you think it was a case that he was pushed? Oh no, he jumped before he was pushed, sorry. Yeah, but only because of all of the, the uproar around it in the media and, and and social media. I don't I still don't think the FA in themselves feel he did anything wrong. 
I, I, I still think if they have let it blown over, he would still be in a position in a few months. It's only because everybody else is outraged that they're outraged. They just need they need cutting from top to bottom and just completely revamped. Uh, yeah, just someone that understands the modern times and the game. And it's not girls not wanting to play football because they might get hit with a ball. No, it's just different. It's just the way it is. And women's football and men's football and stuff, at the end of the day, it's football. Who cares? If people want to play it a different way or do it a different way or don't like a certain thing, it doesn't matter if you if you're male, female, black, white, Asian. It's just football. <laughs> That's why I think you're losing it. And his whole message about girls' football and all they don't want to be hit with it. It's just stupid because at the end of the day, you could probably survey tons of like foundation phase football, which is like six to eleven or something. And there's a lot of kids there. It doesn't matter what gender they are, or what race they are. A lot of them will turn around and say, well, no, I don't like being in it with the football. Because who would? You're a kid. <laughs> like, unless your kid's like Alfie, who turned around and lived for that type of stuff and throwing himself into a challenge. But there's, <laughs> there's some children that just don't want to be whacked with a football. Or head a ball. Or crunch, make a crunching tackle. They get enjoyment from having the ball at their feet and dribbling past people. It should be encouraged instead of, well, that's just women's football, isn't it? <laughs> Until people at the top of the game start actually doing stuff about all these issues, nothing's going to change. And if he was at the top, nothing was going to change because he was saying all these things to sound good on TV, but he didn't believe in any of them. He didn't feel any of them. And he's been found out and he's rightfully been taken out of his post. Mm -hmm. Some of the more concerning things from that, like, oh, I don't even know what it's called. It's not briefing. Oh, what was it? What's the actual name of it? It was a hearing, I think. I think that's the actual name. But some of the stuff about Project Big Picture, just the sheer denial of one of them. I can't remember his name, but he was asked of why should the top six clubs be given it? Why wasn't all top, 20 of the Premier League consulted about it? He's like, ah, oh, well, you know, you've got to talk about it in a small group before you put it out to the big group. But you're talking to the ones that wanted the power. <laughs> how does it work do you just be like oh yeah yeah we've all agreed we're taking the power off you but don't worry boys we've consulted you afterwards <laughs> like that was really concerning is that they kept it all this little secretive stuff and if it hadn't come out would they manage to get it through especially if the FA were backing it and like yeah come on let's let's, let's sort this out let's redesign football It's just that worry of the behind the scenes of what was being said and going on in the FA. Like yeah. there's, there's obviously certain things they've discussed and the shake-up to our game. The horrible part is there's so much more we probably don't even know. And we probably won't know until it's, until it's you know, a lot, long time to go. A long way away. Yeah, it's, oh, it's just it's ridiculous. And I know He's out now, that's the main point. Yeah, but is it? He cut one end off, and there'll be another one that will step up, and it'll be it'll be interesting if they yeah. are more progressive. I'd hope they would be, instead of just appointing the old guard and find someone outside with external views that can, like you said, shake it up. I'd lo I'd love to see an ex footballer get it, someone that knows and gets football, rather than these big wigs, you know, these socialites that walk around wearing suits. Get someone that's been in the job, knows knows the business. And someone that can, um, you know, do what's right for football rather than what's right for their pockets. Hmm. Well, we we can move on because there was a little topic I want to touch on with Sheffield Wednesday, and some of the outrage. Right, there's obviously your typical names have been linked to it: your Pulis, your Pearsons. But one name that did come up was Sol Campbell, and I just sit the comments on some of the stuff when people when his name gets mentioned, I just don't understand it, like. Why, what is different, right, from Lampard or Gerrard, who both have been given top jobs in the top two, or either in the top division or the top second division in our game? Why is then Sol Campbell, who's got the same qualifications, same experiences, I'd say even better, not considered in the same ways that these people are? It's because he's not a yes man, is he? Sol Campbell's always been very opinionated. He, you know, he likes to talk. He's, he's very eloquent in how he talks. But, you know, not everybody likes that. And Lampard, he's always been a bit of a, you know, yes man. And um, 
Gerard maybe not, but uh, I, I I get why you're saying. But then he's been given roles further down, and he's not done particularly well with them. Well, you say that. You look at the circumstances. Southend were on their knees financially, and be, beyond gone, and didn't keep him up there in League One. But they are in free fall at the moment. Just look how they're doing yeah, now. On League, aren't they? Mansfield. He kept them up. Macclesfield, yeah. Macclesfield, sorry, not Mansfield, then the other one. Macclesfield, they were dead and buried, right, financially. They had no money. He was the kit man, he was the assistant, he was the manager. He was just, he was everything. Like There was a really interesting clip, I think it was Soccer, Soccer AM, did a little clip with him and like, what's your roles in here? And it was literally a wooden chair, a wooden table, and just him yeah. trying to run this football club that was on its knees and kept him up. It's not until last season where they obviously got relegated because they didn't pay the players again. But I just don't see why he's not seen in that same light. He's of the same generation as Lampard and Gerrard, probably slightly earlier. Or Terry. Terry's walked into a Premier League assistant manager role. And Sol yeah. Campbell is an invincible winning player who at the top of his game has achieved no, everything. Terry, he was a player at Aston Villa, then became a coach at Villa, then got appointed assistant. And then Villa got promoted. To be fair to Terry, Terry's yeah, done he, he did go down, didn't he? So, like John O'Shea right. has done at Reading. He was a player. Then he's now become a coach in the academy. Now he's a coach in the first team. I... But I just don't see why Campbell has not been afforded these same opportunities. He's had two very, very difficult gigs. Don't get me wrong. They were a poison chalice. But now why is he not considered in the same light? Well, I, I guess because, unfortunately, the way that his team's performed, like with any manager, unfortunately. Like Paul Scholes, for example, was Oldham. not amazing at Oldham and hasn't really found another job since. Was so, that Scholes one was a, a tricky know, one, wasn't it? He was there for, like, three weeks? Yeah, he fell out with the owner and all sorts. And, but again, Oldham... Yeah, I think that's what Kurt Campbell, you know, he, he talks a lot more than the likes of Lampard. And I think a lot of people are put off by that. A lot, a lot of people, because Campbell, if something is wrong, he will go up to his people above him and he will say something. And not a lot of owners want that. Do you not think that what made some of the best managers great? Someone like Clough was always known for... Yeah, but Clough was never going to get the England job for exactly that reason. Campbell, <laughs> there's a lot of jobs that Campbell won't get because of that same reason. I'm not saying he's going to turn and get the England job. I'm just saying... That he should be given the opportunity at least to show his son. Lampard had not coached a single day in his life, right? No, at Lampard, senior level. His uncle Harry Redknapp was working as an as a advisor at Derby. Oh, and Harry Redknapp got his head in, then they appointed Lampard. That's the only you know, it's only it's all who you know. You're so, telling me Sol Campbell, the invincible winning captain, right? So you've then got to connect the dots and think, why aren't people offering him the job? And then you've got to maybe look a bit further, a bit closer to home. Is it something about him himself that's making people not want to offer him the job? I think you've got to see what other managers in that invincible season have done. Like Thierry Henry has gone out, coached in France, and is now manager in in the USA. Patrick Vieira did exactly the opposite. He was a manager in the USA and now is a manager in France. Like, you know, unfortunately, the job just hasn't fallen right for Campbell at the moment. As you say, he took two poison challenges, chalices, but owners are not going to say, oh, you took a rubbish team and they were still rubbish. Well, no, Marcus already kept up, which is my point of fair play. <laughs> yeah, but Derby, the championship teams aren't going to look at Macclesfield or Southend. He's got to. I well, know. Yeah. It's, it's he has to get that opportunity, but he's not yeah, been given exactly. it. That's, that's uh, the cycle, isn't it? He's got to prove himself, but he's not been given the opportunity to prove himself. How do you prove yourself if you're right. not given that opportunity? Exactly. You've got to try and break that somewhere. Where do you draw the I line? You will get an opportunity, but I think Derby is a bit too high up in the EFL currently. To take a chance Especially on a manager that's not proven at league at championship level. I, I, if he fails, he's taken them down. They're already bottom. Yeah, unfortunately. This if he did get the job, that would be another poison chalice, unfortunately. So potentially it's in his best interest not to go for the Derby job. 
I think he's, he's not he's not proved himself to be a fireman manager. He can put out fires, and that's mostly people. That's most of the jobs that come up is yeah. that there's an issue. They're doing rubbish. They need someone to come in and sort it out. He's not proved that he can come in and sort it out. So he's he's already narrowing down the amount of clubs he can go to, and they tend to be lower down anyway. Yeah, I, I'm pretty good. We'll get another job. Yeah, one hundred percent. But uh, I think Derby is a bit too big of a step from what he's had to what he has done so far. Yeah. And maybe the Mansfield job that came up, and Nigel, Nigel Clough got it, and I mean it's a great appointment for them because they got a lot of money, and if he's allowed to spend it, it'll do well. But I mean, you know, you got to look further down. He's got to prove himself League One before he can get a job, just because he's Sol Campbell. At a higher level, as you say, equivalent with Lampard and Gerrard. Yeah, I mean Gerrard did it. Did yeah. all the time with the under 14s at Liverpool. Yeah, Gerrard's is a. We've discussed. I, it's my biggest pet peeve is that people think good players are good coaches. I know we've just spoken about Campbell in his different managerial, but someone like Lampard should have gone nowhere near that Derby job, and that really infuriates me that there are better, younger coaches that probably haven't managed or haven't played, yeah, but still I mean, would do the job. How much of the coaching was him, though, and how much is Jody Morris, and how good a coach is Jody Morris? Because if you've got a good coach alongside you, the manager doesn't have to do a great deal of coaching. Mm. Yeah, the manager manages. Koppel had an a defensive coach, an offensive coach, and a goalkeeping coach. He didn't. He stood and watched. Managers yeah. don't need to get their hands dirty if they've got good people around them. Yeah, but that's just, just a few, that's the biggest pet peeve I have. And uh, I, I think they were looking at an isolated incident there in Lampard. A lot of managers don't get that. Mm. He was just lucky that Lampard Redknapp was around. Like even you look at younger coaches, Solskjaer. Had a job at Cardiff, went and got a job at Mould. Or you look at Arteta, was assistant to Guardiola for three years before being offered the Arsenal job. Do you know what I mean? All of these... Lampard is a very isolated incident. Oh, Solskjaer's in that same bracket. Maybe the next thing for Campbell is go to Arsenal and become the under-23s manager or something. Have a couple of years under your belt and then then go back to a, a League 2 side, a League 1 side. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the way in is through the coaching, go through the coaching route. Well, you know, I see Solskjaer is one of them that he falls into that category. He failed with Cardiff miserably. He was really, really poor with them. He's then went to Norway, right? And there was a few scandals that have followed him around. We won't go into them on this, but if you want to read up on them, there are there. And then ends up at Man United, purely because he was a legend, right? He was there, he was uh, the baby-faced assassin and all that. There was no way... You're telling me he was the best candidate coming from the Norwegian Premier Division into the Premier League at Manchester United, which is arguably the biggest job in English football. No, but the owners knew what they needed. They exactly. needed someone that could bring the fans together, and that's what yeah. he did. 100%. And with that squad, you don't need to be the best coach in the world, let's face it. You should be able to get decent enough results out of that. Have you mm. seen no, some of the coaching? Have you seen that set piece? It's ridiculous. The... Oh. 11 Complete. people in a box in the 11th minute of a game and they left Denver Bar on his own on the halfway line and are oh. committed. What the hell? <laughs> Again, look at what United needed at that stage when he was appointed. They needed a manager that was going to paper over the cracks, bring the fans back to the club, unite the backroom staff and be a figurehead. And that's exactly what Solskjaer was. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he should have been offered the job permanently. I agree with you. I don't think he's enough qualified enough for a big six club. But equally, the way the team were playing under him as interim, you know, you can forgive Man United for giving him a contract. Maybe they gave him one that was a bit too long. But, you know, that is exactly what a club like United needed at that time. See, for me, it was an emotional decision they've made. You look at United, right? They have been poor. They, I know they got top four last year, but that was an especially rubbish year. Like, 60-odd points to finish in the top four is just pathetic compared to the history. You look at them now this season, again, it's just so awful to watch. Especially, you look at the quality they have. they got Van Beek, Fernandez, Pogba, right? Some of the best players 
on the ball and breaking teams down. And they're playing a counter-attack. Oh, it's, it's naff. What I'm telling you is he got the job because that is what United needed at the time. Because of how divided the club was in the sour breakup with previous managers, they needed a manager that you would reunite the club. And that's exactly what Solskjaer has done behind the scenes. Don't get me wrong, on the pitch, it's not great. And that's why I think he should be replaced. But exactly what Man United needed was exactly what he has given them. So we, this is someone's trying to go through a coaching and analysis pathway at the moment. I just, I despise it. People just assume that the best player, because they've played at the highest level, it makes them the best player or best coach there is. Don't get me wrong. In some cases, obviously, they'll have a lot more experience than a person that's never played at the elite game, and that counts for something. That's why you obviously see your Arteta's and stuff coming in as assistants. I get that. But they should have to do the legwork first. And the biggest praise I have for someone is Craig Bellamy, who has come from, he was at Cardiff's Academy with the under-7s, and he's worked all the way up. He's now at Anderlecht's under-23s. Like, that is something as a professional. And he did an interview and was asked about it. And he's like, why don't you just go into a first-team job? And he's like, I might have all the experience as a world, as a player, but I've never understood it from a coach's view. How am I going to know how to react as a coach when stuff comes up if I've not got the experience that I did have as a player? So how do I know if certain things happen in a session? How can I change that? And he's got that. Gerard did the same, he mentioned it, from the 14s all the way up through. Understanding how to coach. Just because you've played the game doesn't mean you are necessarily... You might have a bit more experience and exposure to how elite players tick. But you'll never understand if something goes wrong in a session, how you change it, how you understand, what do you do here, how do you interact with this player, how do you get the best out of a certain unit of players in this session. You know, that stuff comes with time. That comes with coaching and being on the pitch. And someone like Bellamy, Gerard, Arteta even, Vieira, Henri, are all players that have gone through that pathway and try to understand it a bit more on a level than... Solskjaer, who went into a job because his name was good. Lampard, who got a, who's now Chelsea manager because his uncle happened to know someone. You know, that's... We wouldn't end up with managers like someone like Graham Potter, who was an educator, who worked at university, who then managed to go over to Sweden, build up a massive reputation, and look at him now. You know? it's. I'd love to see more pathways like that of people that are coming into the game that are what you call experts in coaching. Just that would be something like that. Martin Jolly's another one that was at Grimsby. I know he's he moved on now and's not there anymore. But that was awesome to see another coach that has gone from the university or education pathway back through and then come up into a my first team job. When we discuss pet peeves then boys, we'll open this up for the last couple of minutes of this podcast. What is your biggest pet peeve in football? James, I'll let you go first. No, thank you. Uh, Mine is when everyone says about how... Everyone compares how big their club is to each other. It's like, oh, yeah, so Tim Pot, oh, you're so small. To everyone, everyone's club is the centre of the the universe. You know, if you're an Accrington fan, Accrington's the centre of your universe. Same for Reading. For me, United fans, Liverpool fans, you know, there's no to, to you to the individual. There's no one club bigger than the rest. I know that obviously there are. You know, I'm not saying in any sense that United are bigger than that. United are the same size as Reading, but to the person you're talking to, they are. And I hate that on Twitter, especially when everyone just slates you for supporting your team. I mean, you know, you're no different to the to the other person that's slating you who's doing the same with their team. They just happen to support a team, a different team to you. It just yeah, it infuriates me. Would you not say, though, someone like Manchester United is probably a bit bigger than Reading? Oh, yeah, I'm not arguing not, but I don't agree with slating other people for supporting a different team, which is what they do. Them youths on Twitter, is it? The vast, isn't um, it? Yeah, just, maybe my pet peeve is just Twitter on, in general, to be honest. Oh, but Jesus. People, people on Twitter just tend to be a different breed to people that you <laughs> Yeah, football Twitter is something else, honestly. It's a shambles and 
Yeah, I've had a fair few experiences with if yeah, I put something out. None's been directed at me, but reading through comments, I mean, other fans comment on other on your team's Twitter, saying, "Hi, look how you know, so Tim Pot, you're so small." You're just yeah. thinking, just why? What? what? We don't got anything else going on in your life. That you can <laughs> focus on anything else other than another club you might happen to be playing in two weeks' time. What other? What clubs would you say are the worst for it? Because I've got my personal views on it, but I'll let you Firstly, from my point of view, over the last two years, it's been Birmingham City and Nottingham Forest. Yeah. <laughs> with Reading for some reason. Yeah, um, Forest are up there for me. That's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I used to really respect Forest, like two, three, maybe before I went on Twitter, but three or four years ago, I thought for the bigger clubs, their fans were a lot more respectful than, than, than a lot of others, like Villa, who just instantly came down with a bit of the air of being arrogant and too big for the championship. But Forest, I always felt were all right. Until last year when we scored the 98th minute equaliser after they scored in the 91st minute. And <laughs> they've just had a real chip on their shoulder when it comes to us. And Birmingham, for some reason, always have. I don't know what it is. But um, especially when it comes to... It reared its head more when Puskas joined. Because he obviously chose us over Birmingham. But they just <laughs> have a chip when it comes to us. And I just don't, both of them, I just don't really get why. But, you know... Oh, Reading fans bite back, and that's why it continues so much. If no one bit, they wouldn't do it because they get bored. But it makes it interesting, I guess. Uh, for, yeah, something to be fair. I, something to read through once you've won. Maybe. Yeah, there's someone that are, we're both quite active on Twitter anyway. And I just find it, yeah, you say, Forrest, if you put your opinion out, God, like last year, right, I was in a thread with people, and someone attacked me in it because it was part of like the, the fan analytic stuff. And Forest fans, man, just my DM or not DMs, my mentions and notifications were full of Forest fans saying this is ridiculous, stats are bullshit. There's a few choice words in there, and I was like, what the hell? And then they missed out of the playoffs, which made it even better in the end. And I was like, we weren't wrong, we we're just giving our opinion from a different and statistical point of view. Because that's what, yeah. that's what my whole account's built on. I, I didn't join Twitter until I had to when I was at uni, and they, they instructed us to. And I'm, <laughs> I, I was kind of pleased I got away with, what, 18 years of not being on it. It's, it can be quite an cl enclosed place when you get stuck into, you know, you end up down a rabbit hole of clicking on people's comments and, and mentions, <laughs> and you suddenly get lost in a world of hate and banter. Well, they call it banter, but the thing is, and then you have all these, and half these people wouldn't even say it to your face. If you're out at an away game and you walk into a pub, like a neutral pub, and you'll sit at a table, and half those people come over and talk to you and have a nice discussion about the two teams and wish you well and you know, good luck as long as you don't play each other. And then you walk away. But as soon as it comes on Twitter, it just becomes vile for some reason. Well, to be fair, though, if it wasn't for Twitter, I wouldn't have the community I do. I oh, yeah, Twitter brilliant. in many places is incredible, but there's, it just raises an ugly head um, quite often. But, you know, you've got to give it and take it, and I sometimes give it, so I've got to be able to take it, which I can. But... <laughs> It's not a nice part of Twitter, of social, of social media in general, really. I think it is just because it's such a like empty vessel almost. People can just shout into it, and it doesn't matter because some people might just not read it. So you put mm. people put this stuff up on social media, or other fans start like arguing with each other. But the end of the day, it's, yeah. it's just an empty vessel. I mean, what makes me laugh is when like a Reading account will tweet something about Birmingham without like putting the hashtag in or forest or any club it's not just those ones <laughs> but then one of their fans will find it and you're like well you've literally had to search reading as a club into the search and gone through all the messages and you've happened to find what's got either word of your club in it and it's just just odd we'll just scroll through like for hours and hours mm. just to find one message oh we there was a brand that got absolutely pelted on my twitter instagram everything because they put, I think we'd just come off the back of winning eight in a row, and we were looking like winning or going up top automatically. And they put something out basically saying, "Oh, what's your, what Premier League away ground you're looking forward to?" And oh, just, just the comments and that is ridiculous. And it was just like, "What the hell?" Because it just rattled so many people. I'm like, mm. "How can you get that That's upset?" They they want people to get rattled. And, and it works because people always do get rattled. I know this was just an innocent tweet, just basically like just tongue in cheek or oh, just having a laugh. Mm. And like, how people got like, there's some awful stuff on there, and like, people are just getting angry. Like, 
They're probably yeah. a young young lad, a young girl, just having a bit of fun, just being stupid. And like, Christ, guys, if you've not got anything better to do with your life than berate someone online because they get just being tongue-in-cheek. It's like, I laugh at how insignificant their life is if that's how they get their kicks. So. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so... <laughs> We'll put that one to the football Twitter as a, one of your biggest pet peeves. Alf, we'll come to you to close up then. What we're saying, mate. My pet peeve is how soft the game's got. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Shock. Couldn't see that one coming. I'm sorry. Some of the challenges that players get booked for now is incredible. I just, honestly. You got I, anything I, I, recent I, to bring up oh. that's caused this anger? There's so many recent things, but like, oh, it's not consistent either. And that's, I think, what annoys me most. But you look at the pick for tackle on Van Dyke, you think that's a bad tackle, but nothing's happened. You look at the Van Dyke tackle on Mertens in the Champions League a couple of years ago. It won the whole ball. And then the follow through caught Mertens and he got booked for it. And I, I don't. I don't agree with it. Like, where is your foot meant to go if you follow through on winning a ball? You you can't just magically vaporize your foot so you don't make contact. It's it's ridiculous. the The level to which it has been clamped down on is ridiculous. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Back in the eighties, when you could kick lumps out of each other and not even get booked, that was. I'm glad we've improved the game from that, but I think we've gone too far in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah, that Rico Henry one in the playoffs. God. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he won the whole ball, foot on the ground, followed through into the man, sent off for it. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Is it Connor Roberts, I think, is their right back in Ewards? He did it against us when we played them the other day. Foss, mate, was slightly late on him, probably just left a knee in. But it wasn't anywhere near. Their bench was going mad, screaming. And he got booked for it. I was like, what? It's just, just, it's just a bit late. I'm with you because we both played more defensive positions back in the day whereas James was warming up the subs bench but yeah no I'm, I'm with you some of the challenges now then would you not look at it and we'll let this up to James do you not see some of like diving as potentially an art and a, a skill in itself to being able to con the referee yeah yeah it's you know if you're good at it but it's not something you want in the game. It's like saying, it's like having a mass murderer, but saying, oh, look, look how good he is at getting his p p bullets right between the eyes. But you're like, you still don't want people going around shooting people in the head. It's not a bit of an exaggerated example. Uh, I was wondering but, where you were going there. I was worried. <laughs> there was panic. You don't want diving in the game, just like you don't want to praise people for having a good shot with a gun. They're going around killing people. That is the weirdest analogy I think I've ever heard. It's a bad thing that you don't want, but it's still a skill to be able to do. I think the most worrying thing for me is it's crept into English players now. It used to just be foreign players, but it's now crept into English players. Art in foreign yeah. places in South America. Yeah, you look like at Neymar, prime well. example. Yeah, but I agree. Into English players, and I, I don't like the way the game's going. I think you know yeah. the, the, yeah, but the thing is there is so much advantage to attackers you can't punish a defender for making a clean tackle as a defender now I'm worried to even go for the ball because if I win the ball I could, I'll probably get booked for it mm. there's yeah, well people want more goals so they've always tried to a, there's got to be a balance and I don't think there is a balance at the moment I think it is very much an attacker's game at the moment, and I, I, I don't like that. Okay, so I'll pose this question then to you two. What's the most exciting bit of football? What, what's the bit that gets you off your seat? Obi Ajaria. <laughs> the things he does. With the no, no, I'm not about the players or anything. What single thing in football gets you most excited? Oh, I love, I just love that. You know, you know when someone's had a shot, you know it's going in. So you've mm -hmm. got the butt. For a second, they go silent. So a goal. Yeah. It's, it's but it's just that split second. Everyone knows you're about to go wild in a minute, but you just got to wait for that to cross the line. It's just that moment. If I could just have that one moment every time. Awesome. Be incredible. 
So we said a goal then, yeah? In that long-winded tangent, yeah? I know exactly what you're going to say. You're going to say then you need to make it attacking sided. You can make the game more attack attacker sided, but you don't need to punish defenders for doing their job properly. I wasn't going to actually say that, to be fair. I was going to go on and bore about that if TV companies are paying a billion pounds to have the right to show these things, you want the most exciting thing in the game of football to happen. A goal. You don't want... Correct. You want your product, and that's the way football is, a product to be the best it can. And you but want the most exciting thing. someone for doing their job properly? Because more things happen. More of the best bits, your goals, your bits of skill, the flair, you want that happening more. So they're well, going to be more lenient. Come on, then. Who's but they're not that? being more lenient. They're being more strict because they're booking defenders for winning the ball, but then unfortunately maybe follow through in a player with their foot on the floor and getting booked for it. If you just want to see loads of goals, you might as well just put those bloody defending, you know, those cones out and just have the strikers going around those cones. There's an art <laughs> people are coming away from that but as much you know that sound when the two players crash into each other and it's just that's another you know it's a bygone a bygone era of a premier league having two players crunch into each other nowadays i mean you think when i was growing up i used to watch Vieira against keen when i was about eight years old now that that was a midfield battle no one was backing out of any challenges there's a couple of late ones. They, 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 some of them did get rightly booked, but they were crashing into tackles, winning the ball, setting up counterattacks for their side. But now midfielders are scared to even dangle a foot in. Yes. Is that out of fear of getting injured, or is that out of fear of, like you said, getting booked? Fear of getting booked and sent off. Yeah, no. See, I'm not, the whole diving debate and the oh, it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like where you lie. I think there's an art in it to deceive. I know it sounds stupid and stuff, but I like that in games. I think if a player is good enough to get themselves the wrong side of the defender and go down, I think there's a skill to it. I know it's it's morally probably not right, and you look at it and go, oh, the defender has been conned, or the ref's been conned. But I just think there's a skill to it, and I think, not encouraged, but we just let it go. We just, you know, see how it goes. Because at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to take over and you're going to see players going down under no contact. But if a player's good enough to get themselves that side of the ball, I, I don't see the issue. I hope next weekend you lose to a penalty from someone diving and then we'll see what you feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've, said, we've said this before, right? Clayton Donaldson, who former, he's at Bradford now, but former Brentford, Birmingham, he had an absolute art for it. And he did it to Tony Craig when he came back to Griffin Park for the first time. And you just kind of had to go, Donaldson, you know he's going to do that. He got himself on the other side of the, the wrong side of the defender. Craig was nowhere near him and he's gone down. But you, he got himself into that space and Craig got his legs tangled up and made a complete mess of it. And you kind of just stood there and went, oh yeah, that's so Donaldson that's for not, you. Yeah, that's it was, no, it wasn't. Didn't, Craig didn't really make... Craig made Litch, I think he probably breathed on him slightly too heavily. And Donaldson's thrown himself to the floor like oh, a sniper. Contact. There wasn't contact. There wasn't, sorry. It, there was literally, it was. If there wasn't contact, then that is a dive. And that. But you but... sit there and go, oh, that's just Donaldson. And it was that, uh, if that was appreciation. You, you would not be going, oh, that's just Donaldson. That was against us. That's the point. It was when he came back to Griffin Park. Oh. And I was like, you know, you, what can you do? That's just well, Donaldson. You've got, no, you've got no right to be on a football debate podcast if that's your view on that. I think there's a skill to it. And I think... There's if... a lovely skill to it when you're not playing against the team or you're not involved in the match. Yeah, it's funny watching another team get shafted. But there's fans of that team that would quite rightly feel outraged. And whenever it happens against us, I'm outraged. Yeah. Man, he stamped out the game completely. That's the one thing that I think I'm very glad about Reading players is there is not a we're on it we're a very honest team a diver there's not a, foul, a Luco on the last game we played because it easily gone down mm. but he didn't he stayed on his feet and wanted to score and that's the way the they, game they say sometimes goes soft for me he goes down a bit easily but 
But then there's always contact when Mate goes down, which is what I was saying about Donaldson. If there was contact and he goes down, then it's the referee's interpretation. But if yeah. he's just gone down, and that's a dive, and that should be out of the game. Yeah, it's like you look at a, a prime example would be Harry Kane against Lalana, um, for Brighton against Tottenham, where he brought the pen. Mm-hmm. He he saw Lalana go up early, put his body in the place where Lalana couldn't reach the ball and had to go through Kane and won a penalty. Now that's not a dive; that's clever body placement. But I tell you, I think there's a complete skill to that, and that took skill to get himself into that position, to know the player's going to make contact with him, which is going to win his team a penalty. Salah did the same. He got in behind the defence, got it between the ball and the goalkeeper, and waited for the ball, the contact from behind. Gone down pretty easily, but it was still contact. And I don't think that's a dive. I think that was skillful play. He knew that the player was going to trip him up. Same with Lalana and Kane. They knew that was coming, so he's positioned himself to get that penalty. Yeah, and that's not a dive then. Yeah, because there's contact. We're talking then, about when you're jumping over the leg and there's no contact whatsoever and you go down. You just go down. But then where do you draw the line? What's a dive? What's a foul? What's I not? Because if a player goes down in the box, right, in my head, there's three things that's happened there. They've dived, they've been fouled, there's a penalty. Or it's a free kick or a penalty. But the refs don't always give that. So what do they think of the free? What do they think they've done? Have they dived? Has there been a foul? You know, like you see it all the yeah, time. That's a soft foul. That's still a foul. If it's not no always given. Clever, then it's a dive. It's not always given, is it? We see it it's plenty of times, and someone goes down in the box, but nothing's ever normally done about it. Well, yeah, because there should be retrospective action for divers. Well, there is for some really glaringly obvious ones that don't get punished in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not enough for me. Not enough to stamp it out. So would you say then Kane's was a dive, Alfie? Or are you saying no, that was a completely fair game? Well, no, because Kane was in the position. Lana then jumped and fouled him. Would you not say that Kane's not made any attempt to play the ball? But how can that How can that be a foul? I would say it was Kane fouling Lana. Lana has clambered over the top of Kane to win the ball. But Kane's then made no attempt to play the ball. He's positioned himself... To get to, him, to get a foul, out. he was nowhere near it. The ball had gone long over Kane. Lana's then gone to get to it and jumped over him, or tried to anyway. Lana has jumped on top of Kane to win the ball that was above Kane's head. That's See, a foul. In the words of oh, I'm trying to remember the song now. There's blurred lines. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you, Alf. To some point, the blood and thunder days of football are over. But then that come with it is the flair, the skill, and that that whole but other it's side. Not flair and it's not skill. <laughs> is where you lie on the debate. See, flair and skill is stepovers and chops and rainbow flick. Okay, I wouldn't say skill then. Clever play, because I'd say Keynes was up there as a really, really good piece of play. Yeah, we're never, we're never going to agree on this, Jake. No, I know we're not, but <laughs> it's just the beauty of football, isn't it? Everyone has a different opinion on it. We can agree, disagree, but that's the beauty of football. And for, for this week's podcast, boys, I think we'll leave it there. But thank you all again for listening. Uh, thanks, Alf, James, for joining me this week, and we'll come back for the next one. Cheers. See ya. Thank mm-hmm. you.